Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, on the 10th Annual Hoopsville Marathon. We get to the part now uh, of an important conversation that we always have on this show. It's with the committee chairs in Division Three basketball. Um, we didn't get a chance to listen, talk to him live. It gets harder and harder. Luke Flakertsy is actually going to be tipping up the ball with his – well, he won't be tipping it up, but his team will be tipping it up in uh, UAA um, play here shortly. Riley Zayas at the Palestra to take those games in. And Bethany Danley from Washington Lee obviously has a busy schedule as well. They were able to carve out some time with us to talk yesterday uh, about a many topics. Um, to be honest, we didn't have enough time to dive into every single topic we should t- dive into. And ones like, for example, the alphabetical uh, rankings that are coming out next week is one we didn't touch on because we've touched on it so many times. Uh, I, I think there's an easy solution there. They believe it too, but we haven't gone there. But we talked about a lot of other topics. It is a must-watch, must-listen-to conversation, a little bit lengthy but worth the time. And I appreciated the time they took to join me as we get ready for the final season and next week's regional rankings. Joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline, it is the national chairs for both the men's and women's Division Three basketball committees. It is Luke Flakertsy, who's the head coach at Rochester, and on the men's, or he's on the men's side, on the women's side, it's Bethany Danley, Associate Athletics Director at Washington and Lee. Uh, both of you, thanks for taking the time, as always. I know this carves out uh, what is already a busy day, busy week, et cetera, to join me, so I appreciate the time. Um, welcome to it all. It starts to ramp up after this, Luke. Yeah, no, it certainly does. We're we're at the really exciting time of the year as we near the end of the regular season. Conference races are, are really heating up and just uh, looking forward to what's going to be an amazing championship. And, and Bethany, from your perspective, at least you're not coaching anybody, but I know you have a lot of administrative work. You have to kind of squeeze this all around. Yeah, this is the fun stuff, though. I think any time you're having the opportunity to administer a championship. It's uh, a unique opportunity to influence the student athlete experience. And I know our committee as a collective whole is really excited about everything that's coming up in the next few weeks here. And, and you have no lives now from now on. I know mine has disappeared. I guess you guys have none too, right? Things stay busy. It's exciting. It's true. It's true. All right, let's get down to it. Uh, first off, as always, we have new committee members uh, as they rotate on and off uh, every few years. Adjusting to 10, obviously there was a little bit of some lag in, in some of this rollover, but uh, I've lost track of how it all goes. Bethany, just who's joined you all and who's on your committee now on the national level? Sure. So we have three new committee members. Uh, Tom Emberley is with Region 3. He is at Farmingdale State College in an administrative capacity. Um, Rebecca Mullen is with Region 5. She is in the Atlantic East Conference office. And then Kendra Whitehead is with Region 10. She uh, is an administrator and a coach at Hardin-Simmons. And then we actually have a vacancy in Region 2. So I I am right now the honorary uh, Region 2 committee person until the nominating committee meets in February, uh, at which point we hope to fill that vacancy. So. Yeah, we have a couple of new folks, but everybody's doing a great job and a lot of people who have uh, experience in, in various capacities. And after our first call, everybody is getting acclimated and doing really well. Uh, breaking news, because I'm literally looking at the roster that's in the pre- pre-championship handbook and I see a, a name for Region 2. So that y- you caught yeah. me there. Yeah, I got you. Listen, that's why we're meeting, right? So we can give you the up-to-date exactly. uh, information. 
Well, well said. Uh, we, and by the way, if anybody recognizes Tom Emberley's name, he's the former, um, he was in the Skyline com- Conference for a little while, so he certainly has a lot of experience in that genre. But it's great also, you're getting some sports information people, you got coaches, you've got other administrators. Luke, who's who's on your crew? And, and let's, any vacancies? <laughs> no vacancies, fortunately, but we uh, have six great returners and uh, we welcome four new committee members, all with significant experience. So uh, Stephanie Dollar is the deputy athletic director at UMass Boston. She also has a long experience with the WBCA, which uh, gives us a nice perspective. Um, in Region 5, Gary Stewart is the assistant athletic di- director, head men's basketball coach. Obviously, a lot of NABC experience as well. So um, kind of some valuable outside input. Um, in Region 6, uh, the Deputy Director of Athletics at Averett is uh, Danny Miller. And then in Region 9, uh, Tim Groves uh, joins us as the Associate Athletic Director and basketball coach at Northwestern. So, Yeah, uh, Tim Groves has been known for a few upsets in the first round of tournaments. Wherever you get him, a big behemoth like even a St. Thomas back in the day has taken a loss to a Tim Groves squad. Of course, Gary Stewart, we just had him on earlier in the show talking coaches versus cancer and uh, and. And NABC and, and uh, uh, stuff like that. So Gary's a, a good friend of the show. Uh, awesome. Appreciate that. So that's the easy stuff. Let's talk about just some quick stuff off season. Was there anything in particular you all worked on uh, or focused on to get ahead of this season or anything in down the road that you guys focused on in the off season, Luke? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the, 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 the championship wrap up is always great. You know, it gives us a chance to evaluate our process and what we've done and, think and brainstorm about any ways we can possibly improve it. Um, one of the things that's been really exciting in this offseason is just uh, being able to build a relationship with Bethany and uh, us having communication about uh, building more synergy between our two championships and um, obviously some joint committee mem- meetings between men's and women's basketball committees, but also some meetings with champs committees um, about you know possible directions for criteria and stuff like that. So uh, not as busy as during uh, the, 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 the selection process. Uh, I know Ryan Scott asked a question about kind of how we break up the work. Um, you know, I, I'd say, you know, probably 20% of what we do is in the off season. So um, the bulk of it is over these next four weeks. Yeah, saw saw Ryan sneak that one in uh, last night tagging you. I'm like, oh, great. We'll just get this one out of the way. Uh, Bethany, same idea. Uh, anything of, of significance? Yeah, I think uh, what Luke said is really similar to uh, what we did on the women's side. You reflect on procedures, operations, ways you can continue to enhance the championship experience. He and I had a lot, a lot of really productive conversations about ways where the men and women can align and should align and, you know, ways that we can continue to operate independently and do things that our respective sports really like and appreciate. Uh, and they might not be the diff- they might not be the same, but they provide unique experiences. Uh, one thing that, that did happen on the women's side is we have a new national coordinator of officials. So we had that search going on um, over the summer, which, which went really well. And Donnie Souders was, was named to that position and, and we're excited about him. Um, fill in that role on, for Division Three women's basketball. Uh, so that was that was a big development. And beyond that, I think Luke really, really summarized uh, spring and summer meetings really well. Uh, yeah, we'll look forward to talking to Donnie um, in the near future. 
uh, here on the show. We just talked to Jim Haney, the men's national coordinator, on a recent show. Saw him last night, or when we're recording, it was last night, Wednesday night, uh, at Gettysburg. Uh, great to see that work uh, and how that has progressed. We'll talk more about that in future shows. All right, let's talk about the upcoming process. Just remind everybody, basically, we don't have to go too far in the nitty-gritty as we will in a moment, but just the basics. What you all are looking at when it comes to primary criteria, starting, uh, Bethany, we'll start with you on that one. Sure. I, we have all of the standard primary criteria categories that, um, you know, have been present for quite some time. Uh, I think that on our group, when we have, you know, our national calls, we really talk a lot about having consistency in how we are assessing teams from one region to the next, which oftentimes can be really challenging because racks do look at things a little bit differently because it is a regional assessment. And, you know, our job is to have some consistency nationally. Um, so it, it's very fruitful conversation. We had our mock rankings earlier this week and had a lot of really dis- good discussion. Right now, it can be a little more challenging to assess teams when you just have fewer data points without regionally ranked uh, wins and losses at this stage. Um, but had some really productive conversation as we started assessing teams and, and figuring out exactly how we're going to look at things. Luke, from your perspective, you know, what this primary criteria is always a, a evolution. I know that much. What do you guys, you know, what do we want to remind everybody about it? I think the most important to keep, thing to keep in mind is it, it really is the totality of teams' resumes that we're comparing. <clears throat> and as much as possible with as much data as we possibly can find within those primary criteria, we are comparing two teams. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of conversation every year about, winning games and strength of schedule and, and, you know, our results versus regionally ranked opponents, but it really is the totality of that resume that we're comparing to, to, to decide how to prior uh, rank teams uh, appropriately. Let's dive into that a little bit. Cause I want to talk about balancing that criteria. That was kind of where I wanted to head with this. Um, there's the primary criteria, the win loss, the strength of schedule, the results versus regionally ranked, the head to head comparable opponents um, that takes up a bulk of that. But every year we discuss, and we discuss differently, we should point out, between the men and the women. Because these these do, as you said, Bethany, earlier about you know each sport having its own kind of um, likes and dislikes, the women do things a little bit differently than the men. And there's nothing certainly wrong with that in any way, shape, or form. But still, it comes down to that five criteria, or and it comes down to trying to balance it and the conversations of which, because sometimes it feels like some of the criteria does get weighed unconsciously or whatever more than the others luke how what is the battle with that and trying to balance the criteria while being fair at the same time yeah so i mean let's just tackle this right on straight on so um everyone can picture an old school balance right and and it's literally uh designed to weigh things right And, and so every committee member every rack member is is trying to um you know kind of calculate um you know, the difference between winning percentage and SOS, right? So uh, a, a 20 and five team that's played the worst team, worst schedule possible, uh, and a 20 and five team that's played uh, every tough team in the country cannot possibly have the same, um, you know, kind of weight. And, and so it, it's our job as, as committee members, there's no prescribed formula. Um, we're just trying to balance out those two columns. Those two columns speak to each other. Uh, and so we're trying to assess, you know, what a 20 and five record means based on who they've played and how they've challenged themselves. And so, 
Uh, I think a lot of our conversations start with that, um, and it's not a perfect science, uh, but it is then our job to try to consistently um, apply that across not only our individual regions, but uh, on the national level as well, which is, um, you know, where a lot of our time is spent. Bethany, from your perspective, is it a difficult conversation to that balance? Are you always dealing with either racks and or individuals who want to prioritize one particular criteria over another? I don't think that we have people who want to prioritize one over another. I think we are very intentional in looking at each team's resume in totality. I think some of the challenge comes into play. You know, you have a team who has won every single game, but they have a low strength of schedule. And how are you looking at that? They've won every time they've stepped on the court but they do have a low strength of schedule. That's challenging when you're weighing it against a team who has a very high strength of schedule. They've played very challenging opponents and, you know, they have some losses. Um, so, so those are the discussions where, where we have to come together. And as Luke said, you look at their resumes in totality. You know, I think that uh, the other data points are really important um, the ranked opponents piece, the the common opponents, and then your head-to-heads, obviously. And and you find some ways to sift through things. It's not a perfect science, but those are the conversations we're having. And, and our group is very open to um, being open-minded when it comes to assessing all of these teams' resumes, uh, regardless of winning percentage or strength of schedule, and, and looking at it at the full full gamut of what their resume is. I listen. I I shared at least the general topics I was going to tackle. Bethany, did you get a snapshot of my notes when I held them up? Because you dove into one of the ones I wanted to get into. And Luke, I saw a little smirk on your face because it felt like she was talking about you. Um, and I'm joking. Uh, but last year, obviously, Rochester getting in had a huge SOS number, balance against the win loss. I'm not picking on that specifically, but I do want to ask the basic question that it seems to come up, especially on the men's side. We talk about a cutoff when it comes to the SOS, that if you are below essentially 500, I'm not going to say you're completely not considered, but that's the general sense. And I and there was a school last year, I think, on the men's side who basically said, yeah, you could win and then lose in, the, in your conference tournament and have three losses on your season, have a pretty good regionally ranked you know, record. I think they were two and one. Had some pretty good wins, but because your SOS is below five hundred, you're not going to get selected, or you're just not going to be in the regional rankings. Let me counter that. Okay, if we have this cutoff in the SOS, so be it. Why don't we have a cutoff on the win loss then? Why? Why is that number, which used to be understood to be about six sixty seven, two thirds of wins, has slipped lower? Why are we willing to put a, a line in the sand on SOS, but not put a line in the sand? on win-loss. And Bethany, I'll start with you because I'm balan- I'm going back and forth on whoever asked last gets gets the answer first. So I'll start with you. But I'm curious, the women don't seem to have that as strong, but is that a conversation? Before we start with this, Luke just did whatever that thumbs up thing was. I'm not sure if it's showing up on the... On no, the- it didn't show up on our system, but I know exactly right. what you said. Well, I'll say this. Luke is way more technologically inclined than me. I wouldn't know how to do the little thumbs up. It's an automated system. So anyway, that bought me a little time to uh, come up with an answer for you, Dave. Um, You know, I I think that it's funny because we had our mock rankings earlier this week, right? We have some new folks and and we had very fruitful conversation. And as you get the new folks in the group, 
there's inherently questions about let's talk through how we're looking at things, right? And let's make sure that we have some consistency in how as national committee members, we are uh, leading discussion with the various regions um, when we have our RAC calls. And, you know, we didn't we didn't have a we didn't have a conversation where we said is there a cutoff but in concept we talked about how we're looking at teams say they have a strength of schedule less than 500 say they have a low winning percentage you know and we actually had discussions kind of conceptual discussions as a group about the fact that having this threshold that's a hard fast line is not actually something we're doing Sure, you have guidelines in general where you're, you know, it, it helps guide discussion, right? But there's no hard, hard, fast rule. And again, we had some really, really productive discussions about the fact that, like, there are some teams that are undefeated in Division Three women's basketball right now who their strength of schedule is in that below 500 threshold. Similarly, we have some some teams in Division Three women's basketball right now who have a winning percentage that one would argue is fairly low, but their strength of schedule is through the roof. As we're looking at these teams, you know, their strength of schedule is the highest strength of schedule we're talking about. And so globally, we're talking about, we can't just eliminate one or the other. They need to continue to be discussed. And again, as we get more data points, that helps us with those conversations. You have additional ways to assess them other than right now, some of the comparisons in these mock rankings, you're literally, you have two teams you're comparing and all you have to go on is win percentage and strength of schedules. One's win percentage is really high, the other one's is low and vice versa on the strength of schedule. That's challenging, right? Like you have limited data. Um, so we had some productive conversation. And to your point, we don't have a hard, fast cutoff on either of those metrics. Uh, we try to be open-minded in considering these teams. And as we get continue to get additional data, that really helps guide our conversation. I appreciate that. And we, yeah, we should have mentioned earlier that you have gone through your mocks. Our first regional rankings will come out next week. So the mocks have been done. You've already had these kind of conversations to go further in depth and start getting processed. But as you know, and you'll have limited data next week too, because the results versus regionally right. ranked opponents is not a criteria that can be used still for another two weeks we can maybe wade into that one. We have waded into into it before. Luke, not to pick on you, bud, but I love you, but you guys were the one who had that outrageous data point last year where you had a huge SOS number. As a result of UAA play, you also had a pretty significant results versus regionally ranked, but your win-loss was probably lower than most people would have expected a team to be selected compared to, and I'm being extreme, a team that missed out that I was talking about. I don't want to pick them out necessarily, but we've had a few. We can go all the way back to Lancaster Bible eons ago who would have lost in their NCAA, in their conference tournament, had their first loss of the season, and probably would have missed out. How do you guys balance that? And I'll go back to the question. It feels like on the men's side, there's an SOS cutoff, but there isn't a win-loss. I've understood the premise, but sometimes I, I, think, the, I think others out there get confused, and sometimes even I get a little mystified as to a team who maybe only lost one or two games is being eliminated right away. Yeah. I mean, I, this subject we could spend the whole hour on. I, I think that there's a, that's true. There's a lot of <laughs> important things to iterate or reiterate here. One is there are no prescribed floors, right? There's nothing that says that a team below a certain winning percentage or a certain SOS can't be selected or ranked um, when we were ranking way too many teams, we had a lot of examples of teams below those set quote unquote floors that were ranked. <clears throat> I think what is, 
I think we talk about these in generalities a lot. And so it's important to kind of maybe quantify some of this. A, a team that has a, a resume that it has a really low SOS or a really low winning percentage typically means their overall resume isn't very strong. All right. And so when you are trying to use that balance analogy that I mentioned, and you're just, you're putting like chips on the balance as far as, as strong elements of a resume, whether it be, you know, head to head wins or regional ranked uh, opponents, and, and that's going to tip the, the balance and the scale one direction or another. So whether or not to have prescribed floors is a completely different conversation. I think if we did, it would likely eliminate a team that has, you know, significant uh, resume in other categories in, in, in single cases. And so it's 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 certainly a larger conversation to be had as far as uh, those floors. But I mean, we talk about SOS all the time. You know, we throw out SOS numbers, right? But what does uh, 400 SOS really mean? It, you know, it means roughly, and this isn't exact, but it means roughly your your average opponent that you play is 10 and 15, all right? And if you have uh, above a 600 SOS, that means the average opponent you are playing is 16 and 9, I mean, we can all understand that those are drastically different uh, quality of opponents that you're playing. And so that gets factored in and it, and it should. Right? So to what degree and what level and how much weight is is the eternal question that everyone is is debating. But I think very often we don't understand exactly what those numbers mean when we throw them out. You're right that we could wade into this. I just want to bring up one because I finally found the data points I was looking for. There was one team in Region 6 that wasn't regionally ranked. They were 24-3 and with a 498 SOS. They were 2-1 and against regionally ranked opponents. I can't remember the two off the top of my head, but I do remember them being pretty, pretty solid twos. And they had a non-conference SOS. This is kind of my segue, by the way. A non-conference SOS of 547. They were not even regionally ranked in the final rankings against teams with eight, six, eight, six, and eight losses. And as a result, they're the team who's told me that they were told because their SOS was so low, they just weren't going to get into this conversation. So I know you say there's no line, but they're being told there's a essentially a line. And it feels like in that case, even though they were 24 and three, pretty good win loss percentage, pretty decent non conference SOS, pretty, oh, two and one against non. Uh, uh, against regional opponents, but all of them out of their conference because their conference was the one dragging their SOS down, but they're not even in rank. That's where I think a lot of us look at it and go, there's got to be a line in the SOS. There's, we're not even considering a team who's sitting there right around 500. Yeah, I, I let that up without saying, Luke is what I meant to finish that with. So, uh, now again, like that, that means their average opponent has a losing record, right? And so, uh, to whatever degree, yeah, their conference, yeah, their conference. No, their average opponent, if they have a four ninety eight SOS, right. But their conference is dragging that down. That's why I said the non conference was a five forty seven. Yeah, and so we can talk about the non conference SOS later. Well, that but, was my segue, but that, yeah, I was going to get to that. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, as part of this, Dave, is is who we're comparing them to, right? And so Bethany and I just went through this exercise with our our committees, uh, and we're doing our our mock rankings and. You know, in one region, we have a lot of SOSs that are going to be ranked that are under 500, all right, because of the the strength of that region as a whole. In another region, there's not a single team that's ranked uh, that has below an 800 winning percentage and below a, you know, 530 SOS. I mean, all regions aren't equal. And so that that's our job as a national committee is try to, to apply the criteria in an equitable way across all 10 regions. And so 
honestly, sometimes RAC members get frustrated because they don't understand what we're doing on the national level. It's not that, you know, we don't appreciate their work and that their work's not important. It's that like, okay, we need to handle this circumstance in this region the same as we're doing it over here. Now, same does not mean equal because the regions aren't equal. So who are we comparing that 24 and 3, 498 SOS team to? That that team would have been ranked very high in a certain region, right? Region 6, they weren't. And so that was part of the individual um, comparisons that, you know, the RAC did and the National Committee did and applied it consistently across regions that they weren't ranked, right? And so that's the reality of the situation. Yeah, I mean, I could we could dive into it. I agree with you. I understand what you're saying. I'm just pointing out that this is where we get this idea that there is a floor, especially when you hear back from those institutions who have conversations with the National Committee saying, well, the floor is this. Maybe they're not saying it well, flat out, but they're about, telling well, that school. Let's talk about teams at the table. Let's talk about teams at the table when selections happen, right? right. Oh, sure. Well, so, but they weren't even yeah, regional ranks, so they couldn't get to that conversation. But Well, they, they could have if the teams ahead of them got in. No, fair point. I, fair I point. think, too, to that end, I, I think these comparison points, you know, and Luke's point about who's on the table, oftentimes assumptions are made about who does or does not get in with those last couple of slots. And it's because you you don't necessarily know who else is at the table at that point in time. And that inherently ends up impacting what some of those comparisons oh, are. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. a little bit different than what you're talking about from a regional perspective. But even with that, you have other data points, right? And if you end up in some sort of triangle where you've got, you know, I beat Luke, Luke beat you, and you beat me. Yeah, you have to you have to break that somehow, and you're looking at all of this information together. And so, if that was a situation where you end up at the triangle or square with a bunch of these teams in that region, I, I could see how you could rationalize some of that stuff because at some point you have to break a tie in in terms of these teams where where it gets really challenging, and it's not just one team being compared to another. You have three or four teams in a comparison just due to how that analysis is shaking out, right? Uh, and that ends up becoming challenging, and I think oftentimes people get frustrated at how decisions are made there. Even in our mock ranking, we had some racks where that situation was present, and you know, I think some people were, were already a little bit frustrated with how things shook out there, and again, right now we can explain it where we're eventually going to get additional data to help with those comparisons. But that that's an inherent challenge, too, is when it's a multiple team comparison and how you end up analyzing all of that information. Again, we this is where we get bogged down a lot of times because it's so fascinating to some degree, but yep. it's also where we're trying to pull out as much information as we can. Um, and the only thing I'll say, because I do want to pivot to a bunch of other things, but um, the only concern I think a lot of us have is that the schools that can will schedule to beef up their SOS, be damned their win-loss, that schools who can't are handcuffed, can't do much better than what they're already doing, and have no recourse to make it better. And as a result, the haves benefit, and the have-nots, and I'm being very generic, are punished, despite maybe doing all they could. And I'll bring up Lancaster Bible from eons ago, one loss in their conference tournament, their first loss of the, of the year, absolutely had the writing on the wall that they wouldn't be in the NCAA tournament. And it feels like at some point, it's almost got to be like a bell curve. At some point, the extreme data on either side, whether it be a really low SOS or a really off-the-chart low win-loss percentage, at some point just can't be compared. 
and and it's and you just got to leave it to the side. I don't. I'm not speaking that right, but that's kind of where I think a lot of us get a little bit conf, uh, frustrated. Is great, go and schedule. Yes, some schools can't, and I feel like we hurt the schools who can't. You, you don't have to answer that. I just I think that's where a lot of our premise is coming from. I think if that makes any this, sense. This is a fascinating conversation, and, and honestly, it's part of a larger conversation that's going on right now in division the division three landscape. Yes, agreed. So, um, I always like to point out like equal access at our level, which is a, a pillar of division three athletics is guaranteed through the automatic qualifying process. Correct. Right? Yep. Right now, in my opinion, this, I'm not speaking for the committee. In my opinion, we do not have all right equal access to pool C's. And so is that the intent, uh, of, you know, division three leadership, or is that just a, a byproduct? And is that something worth changing? And that's part of a, the larger conversation that's going on right now. Well, there there's- there's a conversation about merging pool B and pool C together and not having a pool B. There are inherent advantages and disadvantages, all right, uh, to the Division Three landscape. And no one would disagree with that. And so is the goal to make the, the pool C process com- completely equitable? You know, that is up for debate and, and anyone can have their opinion on that. But, to, you know, that that's kind of where we are on, on in, with the conversation. And I think it's a fascinating one. And uh, what direction is going to go is kind of TBD right now. I appreciate that that thought. That's a, that's a great point because it is a bigger conversation we're having on a micro level. Uh, quickly, non-SOS. There are times I felt like maybe it's it's not understood, not considered. Do you guys dive into the non-SOS? Bethany, I'll start with you since we haven't heard from you. <laughs> yeah, there there are times that we utilize it, and, and in fact, again, Monday we had our call and. It was very productive in a variety of capacities. And we talked about when to utilize uh, that secondary criteria. And and for us, the way that we typically utilize that is we have comparisons that are so tight and it is like you literally could go either way. Then we'll go to the secondary criteria, which the way that we interpret this, that is the intention of how the secondary criteria should be used. And we can use that as is is a tiebreaker more or less. Um, so we do utilize it. You know, even in our call on Monday, I think we went to non-conference strength the schedule on three or four occasions. Um, so it's not a frequent usage uh, in, in our discussions, but it definitely is a tool that we utilize when we have a hard time breaking a tie between two teams. Luke. Yeah, so non-conference SOS is, again, a topic that we could uh, talk about for quite some time, Um, especially in our mock rankings here when there's less data points. Uh, Very often, we're just comparing winning percentage and SOS. And so uh, I think this past week when we're practicing, we we went to the the secondary criteria more frequently than we normally would once we have a more robust resume to consider. So uh, it is something that's considered and, you know, certainly, um, you know, it's very similar to the way Bethany described it. You guys brought up already kind of uh, racks getting frustrated sometimes with what the national committee does. And I know we had a couple examples that got to my attention that there were comp- uh, racks who didn't understand why the national committee was making whatever changes they were making. I uh, don't need to go in specifics because it's more of a general conversation. How do you make sure the racks understand what the national committee is trying to achieve and get them to be as consistent as they can when maybe some of them are pretty adamant that this is how their their rack should be or their ranking should be, even if it drifts maybe outside of what the national committee is trying to do, Luke? Yeah, no, so this this cycle in particular, uh, I was 
try to be mindful of that. I try to manage expectations of our of our RAC members and just uh, kind of articulate like why changes might come back to them and what the, the purpose is. And again, you know, the National Committee is trying to apply this criteria in an equitable way across all 10 regions. And so when you're just looking at the regional level, uh, those RAC members only have the perspective on, you know, the strengths of their regions. So for example, in one region, we are going to rank multiple teams that are below a 500 SOS. And so you know, that feels different than another region where, you know, there's no, not a single team below a 500 SOS ranked. And so that's up to us as a national committee to kind of make sure we're handling those comparisons equitably across the regions. And, and we have to go back and make some changes when when they're not. Uh, and not that the RAC members should take those personally. And again, their, their work is really, really important. It streamlines our work. Um, and so we we try to get feedback to our rack and and just kind of this is why these changes were made and why and like hopefully they can take that information and continue to do great work moving forward. Bethany, similar, different? Yeah, I think it's all the same. Whoever our uh, national committee member is for that region communicates with the rack why those changes happened. And in fact, on uh, I got to participate in multiple. Um, rat calls again my my honorary duties in region two and then i sat in with uh one of our new folks and um it, we had some candid conversations in there because we're having discussion about how to compare teams and they have their opinion and again it's because it's regionally based everything that luke just said is is entirely accurate and so in the context of, of being with these different groups I made the I, I made the point the way the national committee looks at this might be different, and here's an example why. Because in another region, if we have scenario A and we have scenario B here, we have to find some consistency in how we are assessing these two different comparisons, and so we try to provide them with some context there of how we're getting there. Because if they're just looking at their region in isolation, our logic for potentially changing something might not make a lot of sense, which which is understandable. And so I think the transparency there in, in how we came to that decision is important so they understand how we're looking at things more broadly, which I think it was reflected in what Luke says. I think our procedures are very similar. Yeah, well said. I uh, appreciate that. Uh, let's pivot. Let's talk about uh, after selections are, are, are done. We'll probably dive into this a little bit more deeper at the end of the month because at that point, some of these things will probably be a little bit more set for you all, and you kind of foresee what the challenges will be. But over the years, we've heard different perspectives. If a coach is, obviously we know during selections, if a coach's team is at the table and they're on the national committee, they're removed from the call and the backup person from that region is, takes part. And we also have heard that that backup person is usually on the call uh, listening, not participating, so that they are at least prepared when they step into the call to take over. Uh, Bethany will not, uh, well, let me get back to that. Um, and then when it got to bracketing, over the years, this has evolved. We we were told at one point on the men's side, everyone was involved, but if their team was in the bracket, they were giving a task that had nothing to do with their team or their quadrant or whatever, so that they weren't involved in the process. On the women's side, we've told they were locked out, and we had the horrid year one year of basically two rookies having to bracket the entire thing before a lot of the pre-work was done. Um, what I'm getting to is, we're now hearing that even if you're an administrator and your team slash school is involved, you're getting removed from the process. And it feels like to me that a, we are, we, I'm being very, I'm, I'm talking about you all, but division three is in general. We are shooting ourselves in the foot 
on trying to do what's best for the tournament by having as few people on the call as possible based on who's in the tournament. And with more and more, especially on the women's side, administrators also being coaches, you will remove more and more individuals. And if we're removing administrators because they're not part, because their team's involved, we're removing even more checks and balances. And ultimately, we're left with very few people doing the work and double checking the work and, and making sure it's all set. I know it's a long soliloquy on this. Why can't we just trust people? I can't tell you how many people I've talked to on committees who say, I'm in no mood, even though I know who we're going to play. Also knowing it might change the next morning when we look at it with fresh eyes. But I'm in no mood to go home and start scouting. And if we do have someone who starts doing that and cheats the system, let's punish them. Like, what? why are we going with the, with the hard no and not trusting and having as many eyes in? Sorry for the long soliloquy. Bethany, we'll start with you. Well... I don't know if I have a great answer on the um, state of trust in today's society. Um, I don't I don't have a great answer. Um, I think that on our side, we're very fortunate that at least in my time on the committee, we've had uh, experienced people whose teams are not in it. And so even though we've had some people removed, I think that the process has worked out really well for us and we put a lot of trust in those people who are who are going through that process and know that they're they're very capable. Um, also, we've been work. We we started last year doing pre work on bracketing, and you know that's not making final decisions by any stretch of the imagination. But there's work that can be done in advance because you have some idea about who your hosts might be and figuring out an infrastructure for for what the bracket could look like. The way that we have done that is we have administrators participate in that exercise. Um, and honestly, a lot of that is due to the fact that you've got the coaches on the call uh, preparing for conference tournaments and the administrators at that juncture in the season have a little bit more time. Um, so that that pre-work inherently helps with whoever is doing, doing the bracketing. It, it simplifies the process a little bit. Um, so I, honestly, I don't, I don't have a great answer for you on who is and is not involved, uh, in the rationale there and the trust factor, but we've been fortunate that at least in the recent past, things have worked out really well for us. And we have some, some very capable people who've handled those responsibilities. We should point out that on the women's side, Megan Wilson's still there last year's chair. So worst case, if Bethany, if you have to step out, you've got Megan and her experience right there helping out. So you guys have a little bit of an inherent built-in uh, safe gap there. Megan is uh, tried and true, and we know we can always rely on her. And now with Rebecca on the committee, she's in the conference office, so she inherently will never have any sort of um, affiliation with an institution. So we'll always have her. You know, I think that I think there's different ways that that this ends up working out. Um, and and again, we we trust the folks who are doing it on our end. They've done a really nice job. I'm waiting for the next twist to say that if you're in a conference office and your school's involved, you're not in it too. I'm just waiting for the next twist here, uh, Luke. How are you guys balancing it? Because I, I think on the men's side, it's changed quite a bit. Maybe not during your time, um, but but it has evolved. Yeah, not during my time. I, I can say that you know. Um, teams are involved you're out of the conversation um not even on a call when it comes to selections and bracketing and so um you know that that's been very consistent and we've never had an issue with numbers we also have an you know incredibly incredibly strong NCAA liaison who uh is helping um you know guide those people through that process so 
Uh, I don't think it's anything to be overly concerned about, but I also don't want to make a statement on trusting people in today's society. So, no, I get that. And I will say on the men's side, we tend to have less coaches who are also administrators. We tend to get that more on the women's side uh, who've got really good programs as well, we should say. Not that there aren't administrators, but they have good programs. It's very interesting on the women's side. Um, hosting challenges. I, I know this is always a conversation. First off, hosting bids, we should remind everybody or do in a couple of weeks. I think some people keep forgetting that. I think some people also forget, Luke, they should put in to host both weekends. You're not coming to call in to please host, right? We work hard uh, as a national committee to encourage people to bid, to make sure people know the deadlines, to encourage them to bid for multiple weeks. Uh, very often, people don't bid for a variety of reasons, uh, not because they don't know that they should have bid. And so those are not obviously not rarely publicly disclosed. Um, but I, I can guarantee you that every one of our RAC members will go through everyone in their region who has an outside shot of outside shot of hosting and, and make sure they're well aware of the bid process and deadlines and timelines. So should not be an issue in uh, 2024 and something we work hard to make sure that everyone knows. Bethany, how's it going on the women's side? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's the same, and um, I think you're going to get to the fact that it's a men's priority year for the that first weekend, and so I think that inherently changes changes the landscape a little bit too, right? If you've got a team where their men and women are both capable of hosting, their women are going to have to be sent somewhere, and it, they might be sent to a team that isn't you know the top team in in that bracket, uh, so. I think that people putting their names in for those bidding opportunities is really important. Yeah, there's a couple schools I know that didn't put in for the second weekend, and I've heard some of the excuses internally as to why that happened. And honestly, just put in for both weekends. Let the chips fall where they may after that. Um, one of the challenges I know is the per diem. It went up, what, about a year or two ago? I think there's conversations about upping it again for the traveling team it's 125 a day what people don't understand first and foremost that per diem is not just going to the students so they can have some spending money that is what is the basically the average per student of what the hotels and food for the school is budgeted for the reality is in this day and age that money is tiddlywinks in most places especially if you go to a major metropolis like chicago or boston or atlanta or new york that 125 gets chewed up fast. What are you guys dealing with, A, the per diem side of that, and B, working with schools who are trying to host on trying to at least get the most reasonable costs, especially with hotels and food associated before they get those bid processes done, Bethany? Yeah, so this is actually something uh, that the Champs Committee, I know they are discussing on a regular basis. Um, I've had some really productive conversations with some folks involved with that group. Um, the per diem is sufficient for certain sites. For other sites, it is a major challenge. And through some different avenues, I've actually learned that at the Division I level, they have a high-cost city per diem. At two and three, they do not have that same infrastructure. And I don't think that same infrastructure is coming to division two or three based on some of the conversations that I've had, which is okay. And I know that the champs committee is an active discussion about ways to potentially account for some of those extra expenses when people do go to high cost cities. I don't think they've landed on anything. 
Um, there are different avenues to have discussions with the travel folks at the NCAA when you're in some of those high cost cities about about how many days of per diem you're getting. Um, one thing that I think is going to continue to be a major challenge at our level, and I think this is a reason people sometimes don't put in bids to host, is securing hotels. And, you know, you go to some sites and they're requiring two nights in the hotel, regardless of whether you win or lose. Now, this is a little less impactful with basketball because games inherently are later in the day. And so you're probably staying regardless of whether you win or lose, right? Some other sports where you're playing earlier in the day, I think it's more of a challenge um, where you're potentially not staying that second night if you don't advance. Um, but it's it's something that's hard. And even actually securing the hotel rooms with a hotel contract is a challenge. And now, which, which I think this is an important development, when you put in your bid to host, you actually have to include a hotel contract, which previously you did not have to. Um, there were people who had put in bids to host and they'd say that they had hotel rooms secured and they were not actually working on securing hotel rooms till after they received the bid to host. So as you can imagine, that in itself created some inherent challenges. So people now have to submit hotel contracts with their bid. But to that end, there are certain states where if you're a state school, you are not allowed to have hotel contracts secured in that capacity due to state rules, which is interesting. I didn't know that until very recently. Um, so those folks are having to figure some workarounds on submitting those hotel contracts so that they can bid. But but more globally, you know, in, in Lexington, we have uh, the Virginia Horse Center, which nobody would ever anticipate as uh, something as being a challenge. But that creates major hotel challenges when there's a big horse show. I know we've had teams go to Salisbury. They had, uh, I think it was a dog show, and they have a massive dog show every year. Salisbury is in a little bit more of an isolated location. That makes it really challenging for them to secure hotel rooms, right? And so I think the hotel situation is going to continue to be a challenge. Uh, one, for people putting in bids to just just figuring out those logistics and then costs. Um, so it's... Um, it is a continuous challenge. And again, this is not quite as much a sport committee situation as it is a champs committee situation. And I know that they are uh, continuing to have conversations on the topic. Bethany, two quick, two quick thoughts in Lexington. I say send them the Greenbrier. I think that'll work out very nicely for the teams involved. I think the Greenbrier will make the cost work. And at Salisbury, just send them to Ocean City. I think we can we can at least put them about 30 minutes away in Ocean City and everybody would be happy. That's solutions. The Greenbrier's an hour, so that's outside. The I'm saying it's within reason here, you know, Bethany. It's faster downhill coming back. I'll, push, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pursue that uh, option in the future, okay? 45 minutes coming back because it's downhill. That's right. It's a good point. Luke, anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, a part of this is educational, right? And so the uh, we've actually earmarked this conversation because – uh, I don't think many coaches know that they don't have to accept the the host hotel. Like if they don't like the accommodations that are offered, they can actually go somewhere else and stay somewhere else. Uh, obviously, uh, that's all factored into the per diem. And so a lot of coaches just take what they're given and it's not even availability. It's the the quality of the hotel that becomes an issue for for those schools. And so understanding that they have that the right to turn down that and go find their own accommodations is is another option in that circumstance. 
I know we got other things to talk about and we're running out of time, but I just want to quickly ask on also on hosting, well, how do you guys balance any issues that have come up in the past, whether it's the size of a facility, whether it's the locker room availability, whether it's making sure everybody has a fair chance at the, at the practicing times, uh, even web streaming or whatever pops up ancillary of the direct experience. How do you guys balance that by saying, and it gets down to this, how do you balance an opportunity for a school to host versus the challenges that that school may present, especially in its past history of not wanting to say no to a school because they've earned it, but by also saying, yeah, but Luke. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's incredibly hard to achieve at the level that you have the opportunity to host. So I would say that if we're erring on side, it's, it's, it's rewarding a team for earning that opportunity. But obviously there's logistics that have to be accounted for. And in, in certain cases, you know, it's that school is just not a, a realistic host, uh, host school. And so that's kind of just the reality of, of how we run our championships, I think. Bethany, anything to add? Yeah, we, we, so the surveys that people fill out and give feedback at the end of the championships, I actually think it's critical. Um, when we have our annual meeting, we spend a good chunk of time reading those, re- reading that feedback from student athletes, site reps, uh, institutions who've hosted, administrators who have attended, all of that. And um, we've had a couple of institutions where we had some challenges. And we've actually asked this question, what can we do to be more proactive in communicating these challenges to these institutions so that student athletes have a more positive experience. And, and I think that element's critical, right? For any NCAA championship event, you want it to be a positive experience for the student athlete, regardless of whether they're winning or losing. And this is something that the champs committee has been more active in as well. They also review the feedback and they actually provide, if there's an institution that receives negative feedback, they are communicating with that institution. Um, and, they're actually they're they're tracking on schools that might consistently get negative feedback. And so again, this is at the champs committee level, but we do weigh in with our input as we as we review the the feedback. And it's something that we consider. That's not going to decide whether whether someone's going to host or not at, at this juncture, but there there might be conversations in advance of things that are expectations if they are selected to host because there have been things that may have, fallen by the wayside historically. And it's really important to us that we are intentional in communicating expectations if institutions are hosting and there's been a history of some issues. I appreciate the insight on all that. I know it's been an interesting conversation. We've known in several sports, some schools that either haven't put into host because of some challenges or haven't been selected to host because of some challenges. And there, by the way, those challenges run the gamut. Uh, we kind of just talked about a lot of them um, here. Uh, quickly, ESPN deal coming in for uh, next year brings in a little bit of boost of money. Do you, are you guys, and, and, and at the same time, the NCAA Division Three has decided to, you know, not charge as many, as much money to, to, uh, to uh, be a member of the division as an effort to pay down their reserve a little bit, get rid of it to some degree. Is that, are you expecting a little bit more money to spend Bethany uh, in terms of flights, in terms of trying to create as best a bracket as you can? Yeah, I know that conversation is ongoing and the champs committee came to us with, I think it was four different um, ideas they had of ways that additional funds could be used and every sport committee had the opportunity to weigh in on things that they felt like would be worthwhile for their group. Um, I know that our group is is, uh, in favor of a variety of things. One thing we 
have talked about is having a little bit of flexibility with flights. I think having creative brackets is really important and not asking to fly everybody all over the place. But, you know, when there's justification for an additional flight, having the ability to do that, I think is really important for our group and something that's been a topic of discussion. Uh, I think that those decisions are going to be made above our, our pay grade. Uh, but again, we've had the opportunity to weigh in, which we've appreciated. And I do think there will be some additional funding coming in different capacities, which will be worthwhile. For the record, I don't think you're paid at all. Um, <laughs> so it's above our pay grade. There you go. Luke, uh, similar thoughts, any different? Yeah, no, I've been, our, obviously all the sports committees went through the same process. So there's just, um, you know, I think Bethany already touched on it earlier, but an increase to per diem seems one of the more likely outcomes, um, but nothing has been solidified yet. Uh, quickly, championship bids for the next cycle are due in a week from when we're talking here, um, and they will be announced next October. We're talking about we're, we're, the next – they'll be announced during the penultimate year of the current championship bids, so we're obviously talking a few years out. Two quick questions. First, I know we've heard some from rumblings about those bids, but you guys have all got to get prepared basically to do that work because it's going to come down to you and a little bit of the next committee to make those choices on who gets uh, the championships. Has there been any talk about joints, about bringing this together, just like soccer has, and having offsets, let's say Thursday, Saturday, one gender, Friday, Sunday, the other, and swapping them every year to make this event even bigger now and bring both men's and women's championships to one place, Luke? Uh, I, not to my knowledge, there hasn't been any formal conversation, but I, I, I think it's a fascinating idea. I think it would be really cool if it was something that we could pull off and, and certainly something that uh, is worth talking about. Bethany? Yeah, I, I have had the opportunity to be a part of some of those soccer championships back when I was in the conference office. And I, I personally... It, I love having the championships together. I think it's a really unique experience. Um, there are some inherent scheduling logistics oh, that absolutely. need to be sorted through, right? Um, and so I think you would need the appropriate facility and willing hosts to balance all of that. But with that said, I think it just provides a really unique environment to have the men and the women in the same place. I think it's even more unique when you've got a men's and women's team uh, from the same institution, both competing. And from what I can recall, I think we had that once in soccer. Uh, I think it was Brandeis, maybe. I could be making that Yeah, up. you're right. I don't remember um, who it was, but right. In the, yeah. in the late 2010s. Uh, but regardless, it, it presents a really, a really unique opportunity to bring a couple of sports together. So I think it'd be an exciting exciting thing to consider. Again, there's a lot of logistical pieces there that need to be sorted through. It is not something that we've talked about. It's not something that I've heard come up uh, in the recent past. I know historically it comes up every now and then, but I think it could be a really exciting idea if the right um, if the right host came around and, and put that on the table. Um, so it's been brought up. It's now on your table. I'm doing it. So there you go. I know I'm not official. I would add as, a, as an interesting change for those who don't know, the bid process has changed to a two-year cycle. Um, yep. Oh, thank which, you for that. I forgot about that. Yes. Which is significant. And um, our next joint championship with Division One is coming up in 2026. Yep. Thank you for that reminder. Uh, I had forgotten about that. Um, and that is significant because I think, A, it just allows maybe more to not have to commit as long. But, B, it allows us to maybe just fine-tune it 
instead of just blocking it down for four years and someone just sits on it for four years without really making an effort. And I am not pointing to anybody. I'm just saying I can see that certainly playing out. Um, listen, I wanted to dive into pairwise. We have gone over our allotted time. I do want to dedicate some time to it. At earliest, here's the trick. The championships committee is talking about it in the next week. They still have to, I know, put it through the financial side of things to see whether this is even going to be something D3 wants to pay for. And then it's got to get through more committees after that to even be utilized in 25-26. But I quickly want to give you guys a chance. We'll dive into this topic at a later date. I do want to do that. But I want to give you guys a chance to talk about whether you feel pairwise, the way it's being addressed now into the division and the way it's being sold is maybe a better way of saying it, is something that is worth utilizing or are there, from your perspective so far, flaws that don't make any sense at this time? Bethany, I'll start with you. Uh, I think that there are, I think it can be a worthwhile tool, yes. And I think that if the division decides to go that direction, you know, again, I, I don't know how much influence we have on that decision, but I think that it's an infrastructure that we can work with. You look to the hockeys and the fact that they've been using it for some period of time um, and then all the rationale for why this is even being brought to the table. And, and yes, I think that it is um, a system that could be utilized effectively in creating selections for future championships. Luke, any follow-up on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a ton of positives to to moving to that type of system. Obviously, part of the the rationale would be to you know, make it even more objective than it currently is. Um, you know, I do think one of my concerns has been um, the cost of the professional experience for committee members. Um, having had the opportunity to serve on this committee for the last four years and just have such an exceptional experience as, as a professional, um, I think in large part that will, would go away. Um, and obviously what we're doing is about the student athlete experience. Uh, I'm, I'm well aware of that, but uh, to think that other coaches might not have this opportunity that I've had, it would be a, a kind of a, maybe a necessary evil to, to that move, but uh, I think would be disappointing. Yeah, again, I could dive into a bunch of topics here, and I think we're going to have to dedicate some time to it because I do want to get your perspective on it. But it might be a, a conversation on a bigger scale, and maybe we can do it as a, a non-hoops thing and bring in a lot of different voices and, and have that hashed out. But I appreciate the at least the initial gut shot there uh, here at the end. Again, you guys have spent a lot of my time, or your time, with me. You haven't spent any of my time. My time's happy to be shared. Uh, but I appreciate it, and I appreciate the insight. I know we'll dive more into these topics on coming uh, segments with you all uh, if, by, in the next month. We become really good friends or enemies or something like that. So I appreciate it. Uh, as always, though, any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuned in about anything about the process or whatever is coming up in the next month, Luke? I mean, we, I, just that we have an exceptional championship coming up um, and from the level of competition that's going on right now in Division Three basketball. I think we can all safely say that anybody can beat anybody, which makes for a very exciting uh, kind of championship week and then a tournament uh, to follow. Uh, I would also say that, you know, Fort Wayne has been an exceptional host for us on the men's side. And if you have an opportunity to visit Fort Wayne and uh, come out there and experience our championship, um, it, it's a it's an amazing venue. They go above and beyond, and it's also been paired with a lot of fun NABC events. So the All Star Game, and there are, are by the year more and more coaches and uh, and professionals uh, attending the the week as well. So 
uh, just a plug to support the championship as much as you can. And if you have the ability to travel to Fort Wayne, it, it is a really fun week. By the way, the the coaches side of a joint championship, I think, would be, be insanely awesome if you bring both um, uh, coaching associations together. I think that'd be just absolutely bonkers fun. Uh, Bethany, uh, any final thoughts? Yeah, I I think um, just going off of what Luke just said, we're pretty excited about going and and hosting our championship at Capital. They were actually slated to host in 2020. They had the logo down on the floor and. Clearly, that championship never happened. So we're really excited that, that, that they've got an opportunity to host again, and we're excited to be going there. They've been fantastic to work with. And um, I had the opportunity to go watch a doubleheader up there earlier this year. Um, and it, it can be a great environment when you get some people in there who are excited about those teams playing. And, uh, again, they've been great to work with. We're, we're, we're very excited about Capital. I think another piece of it uh, that's super exciting this year on the women's side is – uh, the folks with the WBCA are working on bringing back uh, the All-Star game. It's only happened once. It happened down in Salem. I think it was 2019. And so we've reached a point where they've got the infrastructure to bring it back. And we're really, really excited about the fact that there will be an All-Star game, that those folks will be present. We're excited about supporting them in conjunction with our championship. And Hopefully we get a lot of people coming. It's a nice central location. So hopefully it's easier proximity to a lot of people. And we're excited about everything that's going to come in uh, the middle of March. Another reason a joint championship could be bonkers. Awesome. I digress. Hey guys, again, really appreciate the time. I know we'll be talking quite a bit off air and on air in the coming month. Um, so I appreciate you at least giving us the insight on topics. As Luke said, we could dive into even longer segments on. So I appreciate you giving what you've given. Um, take care. Enjoy the process. We'll look forward to it. Uh, we'll look forward to talking to you also on the top 16s coming up in a couple of week, a couple of weeks. And in the meantime, at least try and get some sleep. You as well, Thank babe. You. Thank you. Bethany Danley from Washington and Lee, the Women's National Chair. Luke Flakertsey from Rochester, the Men's National Committee Chair. Joining us here on the Hoopsville Marathon, Hoopsville Hotline. Appreciate both of them taking the time to talk to us. Uh, great segment. Lots to dive dive into there. Lots to unpack. Um, lots of stuff we just ask in general on this conversation. We could literally go an hour on each and, and learn more. Um or not learn more, I guess is another way of looking at that. Again, they'll be on in a couple of weeks with us as we debut once again uh, the top 16s in Division Three. It'll happen after the second regional rankings, a Hoopsville exclusive. Top 16 seeds in Division Three men's and women's will be live February 15th at 7 p.m. right here on Hoopsville. We're actually turning down some work that night to make sure to do that show. Uh, I debated about seeing if we could do that show in another way um and still be able to get some work in but the reality is that that wasn't going to come together but looking forward to having luke for and beth uh danley on the show sorry my, my bethany danley there we go uh on the show then and we'll talk to him ahead of selections and then we'll also talk to him right after the brackets have been released all ahead uh, in the future. So look forward to that and thank you for their time. Uh, also, thanks to you who've donated. We've made a little dent. Uh, we're getting up to about uh, 10% of our goal, uh, which I appreciate everybody making that effort. Uh, if you want to um, donate to the cause, um, Venmo at 
Dave, is at Dave McHugh. Look for that one right now. I know some ask, some have asked about PayPal. Um, we're going to see if we can fix some major issues with a PayPal account and see if we can figure that out. There's also Give Butter. By the way, I was going to take a break and wrap the show, but um, we're just going to wrap the show. So this is going to be a monster long last segment, especially if any of you listen to the podcast. No breaks here at all. If you do want to advertise and sponsor, uh, we would we would throw in breaks in the middle of that. I promise you um, to get you your advertising dollar uh, worth it. Um, so anyway, um, appreciate all of you who've, who've helped us out and donated to the cause today. Um, that money already helping to pay some of the significant bills that we have. But more importantly, uh, we've got big plans with this show that we are on. We feel like we're on the precipice of taking to the next level. Um, I've had ideas of adding a third show a week. Not every week, um, not to go into further detail, but adding a third show uh, essentially to kind of help us prognosticate and talk about teams in a different perspective. Uh, we've also talked, uh, you heard a couple of coaches, Gary Stewart, talking about other things I do in Division Three. He mentioned football. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm a little bit involved in football, but there's also soccer and uh, lacrosse and some other sports that I certainly love being a part of. But the larger division, we have ideas of covering the larger division uh, in multiple uh, capabilities. Many of you may remember the YD3 show we had for a year. Um, thought about bringing that back. But um, it takes financing and funding uh, to do a lot of that work and uh, because there's a lot that goes behind the scenes. But uh, that's where our ultimate goal is. So if we can get advertisers and sponsors, which I believe live out there, uh, we can certainly head in that direction. Um, and uh, we'll see if there's ways others of you can give back as we expand our programming as well. So here's what we got going ahead. So on Monday's show, we'll be on the air at 7 o'clock Eastern time. Then uh, next Thursday, we'll be back to our 1 o'clock regularly scheduled programming. Just the way it's worked out this year, right? Uh, it's not really... Um, not really a regularly scheduled program, but Thursdays uh, are at 1 o'clock except for that top 16 show the rest of the season. Um, and then uh, the 12th, we will have to move up Hoopsville on Monday the 12th to 1 o'clock because I've got a, a late night game there um, to be a part of. So we'll have a 1 o'clock show on that day followed by the 15th at 7. So we're kind of doing this weird alternation. 7 o'clock on Monday this week, 1 o'clock on Thursday next week. Um, then one o'clock on the following Monday, followed by seven o'clock, the 15th. And then on the 19th, we're actually gonna move that show to the 20th because I will not be back from meetings. I have, um, with my major league baseball responsibilities until, uh, that evening. Uh, I did the red eye last year to get back to do a Monday evening show and it didn't go as well as it should have gone. <laughs> So uh, we'll be moving that to Tuesday, and then we'll be on Thursday, the 22nd, at 1 o'clock as well. That's, of course, conference championship week. So those are going to be big shows, to say the least, um, to to discuss and, and deal with, and we'll get as many guests on as possible on those programs. Then the 25th of... February will be our Hoopsville selection show. I think we're going to, I'm going to talk to everybody who's involved in that. I think we're going to try and start a little bit earlier than we normally have in the past on that. And then Monday, the 26th, not only will there be NCA tournament bracket shows, but we'll have our Hoopsville uh, bracket special at seven o'clock that evening. Uh, and then we head into tournament play after that. So that's kind of a brief rundown of our shows ahead. When I say it that way, there's not that many shows left, which means there's not much season left either so 
Um, get out to a game. Go and enjoy it. Um, there's going to be some a lot of great basketball still ahead of us in these closing weeks. Regional rankings, again, will come out on Tuesday in both men's and women's. If you're familiar with last year, it was men on Tuesday, women on on Wednesday. That has changed. Both will be out on Tuesday. Reminder, they will be alphabetical because there isn't a regionally uh, there isn't uh, data for uh, results versus regionally ranked opponents. And as a result of that, um, they put them in alphabetical. That was something that got put in ahead of last season for all sports. It's something we're still kind of fighting back against because I think if you do mock rankings and they take those mock rankings seriously as if they're real rankings, I think you can use that data, in my opinion, as Bob Quillman's QCast uh, show today point out they're ranked before they flip them into alphabetical order you can probably use that data on the mock rankings to at least say not ranked in what position but you can at least say they were ranked we were discussing them and and fill in that data hole to allow week one to be a fully ranked uh regional ranking so i think waiting until week two to do that um it's just a bit of a detriment. I don't think it allows... I think it puts some teams in a position thinking they're going to be regionally ranked and they'll be surprised at week two that they're not because that data hole. And I think some teams who are not ranked get confused because that data hole is missing. And I think that in all sports, folks. that That's not just a hoops thing. I think that in soccer as well and lacrosse and the rest. Um, I think it's just... I got the premise. I just don't think it's the right execution. Um. And then the third regional rankings will come. So the, so the first ones come out this Tuesday. Uh, that is, reminder to myself, the 6th of February. Then the 13th will be week two's regional rankings with the top 16s released on the 15th. Um, and then the 20th will be the third regional rankings, the final public rankings before the selections are made. A reminder, there is a final ranking that is done on the 25th for the national committees to use those rankings are adjusted um so they they make their normal adjustments then they run the the results versus regionally ranked data one more time and come up with their final rankings as a national committee then they make their selections and they bracket and those final rankings are released on the 26th supposedly after the brackets have been announced as well so that's just a reminder of that premise and that process and all that jazz um Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Great to have you all with us throughout the marathon. Uh, let's see here. I want to thank Chris Martin from Loris, Lou Robinson Gibbs from MIT, Justin Olofsson from Webster, Gary Stevenson from Stevenson in the NABC. Gary Stevenson. Gary Stewart. I got it on our on our sheet as Gary Stevenson. I'll have to fix it on the on the on the website. Bill Broderick from Christopher Newport. Nate Davis and BJ Dunn from Gettysburg. Bill Saul from Calvin. James Cosgrove from Trinity. Don Friday from P, uh, Penn State Harrisburg. Uh, Peg Swadener from Willamette. Uh, Ryan, uh, let's see, John Zeke, Marcus Kahn, former Cabrini, and Marcus now from Mary Washington, and Ryan Van Zels from Cabrini now. Uh, Brendan Toomey from Farmingdale State, Bethany Danley, and Luke Flakertsy from Washington Lee and Rochester, respectfully. Uh, and of course, Bob Quillman, Ryan Scott, Matt Snyder, and Scott Peterson for coming on the show today. I want to thank all the sports information staffs at Loris, MIT, Webster, Stevenson, Christopher Newport, Gettysburg, Calvin, Trinity, Penn State, Harrisburg, Willamette, um, Mary Washington and Farmingdale State uh, for their assistance with us. Also, shout out to the WNL and Rochester crews as well for their assistance uh, with uh, getting this show on the air and for their support of our work. We'll be uh, putting Monday's show together relatively soon. If you're a podcast member and you're tuned in live, 
and you're a podcast a fan of our podcast we'll get those turned around here maybe quickly we'll see how it all goes if not, we'll get them turned around overnight so that they're available by Saturday so that you can be listening to the uh, ever-popular podcasts. In the meantime, thanks for tuning in, everybody. A great night of basketball already underway in Division Three. UAA basketball, of course, being played as well. Um, I'm trying to see. There were a couple of tweets that, that popped up. NYU women are up 51-16 on Rochester as the Violets continue to absolutely dominate Um Anything and everything. Uh, Emery is playing. Who are they playing? I forgot who Emery is playing because I just don't have the schedule for me. I'm looking at uh, the Twitter sphere, as it were, right now. Uh, unfortunately, Emery's tweets are great, but they have absolutely no information as to who they're playing, which is a little bit frustrating. Um, as Steven Johnson said this an hour ago, Trinity's run this year has been at jaw-dropping. I'm excited to see if they can hold off Williams tonight. Williams likely needs to win to keep their chances of in a bid to the NCAAs. Trinity wants to solidify their historic year. He's right. Um, I think the new Mac or the NESCAC's turning in closely to a one-bid league. And Trinity Williams tonight is going to be a huge game that tips off at about 30 minutes from the time uh, I'm speaking as it is. So make sure you tune into that. Jim Haney had tweeted earlier that he's drove 500 miles or 500, 300 miles across Pennsylvania to Pittsburgh for Friday's match or tonight's matchup for Carnegie Mellon and WashU. Then he's hacking heading to the PAC first game, uh, first place game between Geneva and St. Vincent tomorrow afternoon. Then on Sunday, he's back at Carnegie Mellon for their game against Chicago. He takes that job seriously. And I love the fact that he lets us know where he is. Again, he was at Gettysburg on Wednesday, uh, and it was awesome to see him there and appreciate him taking the time to check that game out. I think it was worth his time as well. That's it, folks. We're signing off. I want to thank my family for letting me dive into this. It includes my wife, my daughter, and my son. Of course, if you tuned into Twitter, you would have seen uh, our picture of our mascot, uh, Tucker the, the pup, who had entered at the beginning of the show and slept in here for most of the marathon. Uh, thanks for everybody tuning in. Thank you to those of you who have uh, donated so far. We'll look forward to seeing how it continues, and we look forward to seeing if we can hit our goal once again by the end of February. Uh, those of you who like uh, T-shirts and stuff from us, we're still trying to figure that one out. Um, I've not been in touch with our vendor for the last few years, uh, seeing if maybe there's another vendor out there we can dive onto uh, and use. We'll figure that out hopefully in the next week or two. So stay tuned with us on social medias. You can find us at D3 Hoopsville, at hashtag Hoopsville. Facebook is just Hoopsville, and YouTube is D3 Hoopsville. Thanks for those who tuned into the simulcasts on YouTube and Facebook, which is still going. I'm pretty impressed. Uh, and thank you also to those of you who joined us via email. Not a lot of emails, but a couple of them came in at D3 Hoopsville, uh, or Hoopsville at D3Sports.com. With that in mind, our 10th annual Hoopsville Marathon, closing out seven and a half hours of broadcast time today, is signing off. You've been listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com. Thank you to everybody who contributes to this program. Thank you for joining us on what has always been a fun annual marathon event. And we will be back with you on Monday, 7 o'clock Eastern, as we continue our coverage of Division Three basketball. Get out and catch that game this weekend. And in the weeks ahead, you won't be disappointed. Take care, everybody. Because if you want to talk Division Three basketball, we'll look forward to seeing you back here on Monday to listen to Hoops. So good night.